Take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Those words were penned by a man named William Longstaff in the late 1800s. He'd heard a preacher preach on 1 Peter, the well-known text that says, Be holy, for I am holy. And as he thought about that scriptural command and exhortation, and he thought about the busyness and the demands of life, he wrote that hymn, Take Time to Be Holy. Well, this morning we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where God's people, the Israelites, take time to be holy. And it's found in Joshua chapter 5. So turn there with me. Joshua chapter 5 as we continue our study through this wonderful Old Testament book. Joshua chapter 5, we will begin reading in verse 1. My intention at the beginning of this past week was to preach the entire chapter. But as I studied, it was clear we wouldn't finish the chapter. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 12 uh, this week. And the next week, we're going to look at verses 13 through 15. And you don't want to miss next week. Wonderful passage of Scripture next week as well. But today we'll be in Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please... Stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Joshua chapter 5 verse 1 says, As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted. And there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time... The Lord said to Joshua, attack Jericho. Is that what your translation says? That's not what mine says either. It says, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they'd come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them, that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we are grateful for this privilege of corporate worship Lord, that you allow us to get together as a faith family and fix our minds and our hearts upon you. And we ask, Lord, that today you would move in a mighty way in our lives, that we would, Lord, see your word clearly and, Lord, respond to it joyfully, that we would be transformed, that we would leave today different than when we walked in the room. And we will thank you and praise you for that grace. We love you today. We celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ And may his name 
be lifted up in our midst. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We saw these last few weeks that God parted the waters of the Jordan and brought his people across on dry land from the west side of the Jordan into the promised land, the land that he was giving his people. And as we've seen the narrative unfold, it seems like this is the perfect time for Israel to attack Jericho, that city right across the Jordan, that they would have to deal with if they were going to take possession of the entire land. It seems like the perfect time to attack for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, in chapter 4, verse 10, we see something very important about those that cross the Jordan. The Bible says at the end of that verse, verse 10, the people passed over in haste, and when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, passed over armed before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them, about 40,000 ready for war. 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. So not only were the tribes that were living in the promised land or were going to live in the promised land ready to fight, but the tribes that were going to live on the east side of the Jordan sent their fighting men too to fight with the other tribes. 40,000 men ready for war. And so the Hebrew people are mobilized. They are armed. They have their orders. They are ready to take Jericho. And then look what it says at the beginning of chapter 5. It says that after they crossed the Jordan River, all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over. Now look what happens. Their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. So if you and I were military strategists, we would say the people are armed and they're ready. Their army is organized. And the folks living in the promised land are scared. Their hearts are melting as they have seen the power of God. So if you and I were calling the shots, we would say, hey, now's the time. Strike while the iron's hot. Attack Jericho now. But instead of God saying attack, God, in effect, hits the pause button. And that's perplexing. Why would he want them to deal with circumcision? And, and later on in the chapter, celebrate the Lord's Passover, that feast. Why? Why is God hitting the pause button? Well, I want to answer that question with the remainder of this sermon. I want us to search God's Word to answer the question why it was important for the Israelites to take time for these observances. Number one, the reason they needed to take time for circumcision and the Passover feast was to remind them of God's faithfulness. To remind them of God's faithfulness. There in verse 2, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time time. Now, as we look back uh, through God's Word, we see what circumcision was all about. It was a cutting away of flesh, and it originated when God entered into a covenant with Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son, and give your son sons, and 
many descendants, and through your descendants, Abraham, I will build a great nation. I will give this nation I'm building a land in which to live and to thrive. And one day I will, through your seed, Abraham, bless all the peoples on the face of the earth. This was the covenant that God made with Abraham. And the Lord said, Abraham, as a sign of this covenant, you and all the males in your household need to be circumcised. And so this was a sign that God made with Abraham when he entered into this promise, saying, I will give you a promised land. That's found in Genesis chapter 17. And so as they observe this ritual of circumcision, they are being reminded of the promises God made to Abraham. When God said, I'm going to give you a promised land, here they are. They're in the promised land now. They've crossed the Jordan River. And they're reminded, hey, God is faithful to come through on his promises as they observe the ritual of circumcision. But there's a very practical reason as well that they needed to observe this ritual. If they wanted to celebrate the Passover, the males had to be circumcised first. If you look in Exodus chapter 12, verse 48, the Bible says, If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. So the, the Lord says, no one can observe the Passover if they're not circumcised. So we see later on in chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, that the people of God observed the Passover. They had to be circumcised first to do that. It's very practical. The order here is intentional. And so God wanted his people to observe the ritual of circumcision and to observe the feast of Passover. Now, what's the big deal here? Instead of saying attack, why does God say pause? Why does God give these commandments and want them to observe these things? Well, circumcision and Passover pointed to some important spiritual realities. See, circumcision pointed to relationship. When God entered into a covenant relationship with Abraham, he says, here is the sign of that relationship, circumcision, a sign of that covenant I'm entering into with you. And Passover pointed to rescue. Remember over in Exodus as God was coming against Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt with his plagues, that God decided on a final devastating plague, the tenth plague, which was the death of the firstborn in the land. But to protect his people from that plague, he told them, take a Passover lamb, an unblemished lamb, and and kill it. Take the blood of the lamb and put it on your doorpost. And when I come through the land to kill the firstborn, if I see the blood on your doorpost, I will pass over in judgment. And that's what the people of Israel did. And they were saved from God's wrath by the blood of a lamb. And then God led them out of Egypt. They were rescued from Egyptian bondage and slavery. So when they were observing the ritual of circumcision, they're reminded of the covenant relationship available with the Lord. And when they celebrated the feast of the Passover, taking a Passover lamb and killing it and eating it, they're reminded of God's rescue from Egypt. So in effect, they are taking time to remember God's faithfulness. God entered into a relationship with our forefather Abraham, and God rescued our people from Egypt. He is a 
faithful, powerful God. They're remembering this as they pause before they attack Jericho. Which is a reminder to you and to me. That before we strive for spiritual victory, we need to pause and take time to remember the faithfulness of the one who gives us the victory. That's what they're doing here. They're they're pausing to remember his faithfulness. We must take time to remember God's faithfulness. I believe that circumcision and Passover find their New Testament equivalent in in baptism and the Lord's Supper. Because circumcision was a sign of a covenant relationship with God. You know what the sign of a covenant relationship with God is in the New Testament? Baptism. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. When someone becomes a follower of Christ, they're baptized to mark, to signify that they have a relationship with God through Christ. And I believe that the Passover is is equated with the Lord's Supper. Because you remember, on the night when he gathered his disciples... For the Passover, the night before he was crucified, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And what does the Lord's Supper signify? Rescue. Jesus giving his body to be broken for us. Jesus shedding his blood to wash away our sins so we could be rescued from our sin and the penalty it deserves. So just like circumcision pictures relationship, baptism pictures relationship. Just like the Passover pictured rescue, the Lord's Supper Pictures rescue and redemption. So as we observe these ordinances, we are in effect making time to remember God's faithfulness. And I want to encourage you to to carve out time in your life to remember how good God has been to you. And to remember how God has shown His strength and power and grace in your life. Because that will prepare you for what's to come. You know, I have this uh, option on my phone, and you do too, it's nothing fancy. But I can set reminders on my phone through my calendar or through my to-do list. I can set reminders and, and I can set it to come on at a certain time to ding or to buzz or make an alarm and whatever I need it to do to get my attention so I know what I need to do. And, and the Lord knows that you and I need reminders. He, he knew his people before they attacked Jericho. They would need some reminders circumcision, Lord's Supper. And so he said, hit the pause button. Take time to remember my faithfulness. That's the first reason that they needed to observe these things before they attacked Jericho. Secondly, the the second reason it was important for them to observe these things is to deal with an area of neglect. To deal with an area of neglect. Look what it says in verse 2 of Joshua chapter 5. The Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel. Now why did God specify flint knives? What's the big deal about the type of knife that is used? Well, there's no question that God was specific about the type of knife because he wanted to remind his people of a previous event involving Moses, and involving a flint knife. Over in Exodus chapter 4, after the Lord appeared to Moses at the burning bush and said, go to Egypt and say, let my people go. 
Moses gathers his family. He's heading from the wilderness back to Egypt. And on his way, there's a very unusual passage. The Bible says God is taking steps to kill Moses. Now, why in the world would God want to kill Moses? Well, it says because Moses had not circumcised his son. Zipporah has inside his wife to see what's happening. And so Zipporah takes a flint knife and circumcises his son so that Moses is saved. Zipporah, in effect, saves Moses' life in that story. And she does it with a flint knife. There's no question. When the people of Israel in Joshua 5 took up flint knives, they were reminded of this story. Moses had to deal with an area of neglect if he was going to be used by God. And before they were going to go into the promised land and conquer, before they would achieve victory, they would have to deal with areas of neglect. Because look what it says about the reason for their circumcision. Verse 4, this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out of Egypt had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. So for whatever reason, the, the Israelites had neglected to practice the ritual circumcision. They neglected it. They couldn't take the Passover. They were living in disobedience to God. So before they were going to go and conquer They had to deal with this area of neglect, which is a reminder for you and for me that we need to take inventory of our lives. And we need to see if there are any things that we're neglecting that we need to deal with. It could be that you're here today and there is sin in your life or disobedience in your life And because life is so busy and you're so frenzied, you haven't taken time to deal with that sin. You haven't taken time to deal with that neglect. And you're reminded here in Joshua 5 that you and I need to take time to deal with any neglect in our lives. Now, if I were to ask you this question, how many of you, and and don't raise your hand, but just hypothetically, if I were to say, How many of you want to be used by God? Probably hands would go up all over the room. We want to be used by God. We want spiritual victory. But then if I ask you this question, how many of you are usable? How many of you are usable? Are you you an instrument ready to be used by God? So where does that question come from? Well, it comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. The Bible says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Listen, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Is your life in a useful state? Because you have dealt with sin and neglect and you're walking in holiness and you are an instrument 
ready to be used by the master to make a difference in this world. I I know you want to be used. Are you usable? Is there anything in your life that you need to deal with? And even as I preach the sermon, probably we have many in our congregation and the Holy Spirit is focusing on zeroing on an area right now. An area in your life that needs to be addressed. You know, if you neglect vehicle maintenance, you're eventually headed for a breakdown, right? And if you and I neglect spiritual maintenance, eventually we will break down. And God told his people as they crossed the Jordan River, right there looking at Jericho, now's not the time to fight. Now's the time to get right with me. Pause. Take time to be holy. There's a third reason that it was important they observed the ritual of circumcision and the feast of Passover. It was to mark a new beginning. Look what it says in verse 8. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, now watch this sentence, it's very interesting. Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. The word Gilgal sounds like the Hebrew word for roll. So God says, now that you're on this side of the Jordan, now that you've obeyed me and circumcised the males, now you are ready to take possession of the promised land. And I am this day rolling away the reproach of Egypt. Now what did the Lord mean by saying, I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt? Here's what he meant. God had delivered Israel from Egyptian bondage and slavery. When Pharaoh and his army pursued the Hebrew people, God caused the waters of the Red Sea to close back over Pharaoh's army and decimate Pharaoh's army. A great victory over Egypt. And the people leave Egypt. They're they're headed to the promised land, but then they disobey God. So God makes that disobedient generation wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And probably what was happening was this. The Egyptians were watching Those Hebrews, they think they're so high and mighty. They think their God's so great. Look at them. They don't even have boundaries. They don't even have a a place to reside. They're just wandering aimlessly through the wilderness. And the Egyptians and other nations snickered and laughed at the Hebrews. Their God's so powerful, he can't even get them into the promised land. And they would sneer at the Israelites, but now... That God had brought them across the Jordan River. Now that they had been circumcised and were right with God, he could say, today, no one's going to snicker at you. No one's going to scorn you anymore. They're going to see my power on behalf of my people. They will see you winning victories in this land that I am giving you. So I'm, I'm rolling away the reproach of Egypt. David Howard says, Egypt's reproach would have been occasioned by the Egyptians observing that Israel was wandering aimlessly in the wilderness for 40 years, concluding that Israel's God had abandoned it and heaping scorn on Israel because of this. Israel was now making a new start 
one in which neither Egypt nor any other nation could deride it for its gods having seemingly abandoned it. You see, after they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, God is giving Israel here in chapter 5 a fresh start. And he wanted them to take time to realize this was a new beginning. No longer will you live under the reproach of Egypt. No longer will Egypt sneer at you and laugh at you and ridicule you. This is a brand new beginning where you will conquer and achieve spiritual victory. A new beginning. What do we learn from that? We learn that you and I must make time to recognize the grace of new beginnings. You see, I've heard people say that God is the God of a second chance. If that were true, we'd all be in trouble. Because if, I were, if, if you're like me, you need more than a second chance. Can I get an amen? A lot more. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God makes His mercies new every morning. God has built a fresh start, a new start into the fabric of our daily lives. And God is always available to give us a new start, to to help us to live for Him, to deal with our sin and neglect. He's willing and He's able and He's merciful and He's gracious to give us a brand new start. If we want it, it's available. That's what God does. God loves giving new starts. And some of you are in here today and you could use a brand new start. And it's available. I love the 23rd Psalm. There's a line in there that says that the Lord who is our shepherd, He restores my soul. There's a man named Philip Keller, a real life shepherd. And he studied this, the 23rd Psalm through the eyes of a shepherd and began to make application from that psalm as to how a shepherd deals with his sheep. And when Philip Keller read that line, he restores my soul, it made him think about one of his jobs as a shepherd. Keller said, one of my jobs was to watch the flock and to look for a cast sheep. And say, what's a cast sheep? A cast sheep is a sheep that, that stumbles and falls. You know, sheep are, are, are uh, they're not real coordinated, all right? They're clumsy. And, and if a sheep stumbles and falls and it kind of rolls over, maybe in a uh, depression in the ground, its feet will be straight up in the air, and the sheep is unable to get back on its feet. And over a period of hours, the gases build up, and that sheep would die in that cast position. So a, a shepherd was to observe the flock, and if he saw a sheep on its back, feet in the air, the shepherd would come, pick the sheep up, and put it back on its feet. And Keller says, that's what Psalm 23 means when it says, He restores my soul. When God finds us spiritually flat on our back, unable to get back up, He loves to come beside us as the shepherd and pick us up and put us back on our feet and give us a brand new start. He loves to do that. 
He specializes in doing that. Aren't you glad that God is the God of a second chance and a, and a third chance and, and a fourth chance and on and on and on? Why? He's a God of grace. And the people of Israel needed to pause to realize this is a brand new start. They could celebrate it. The reproach of Egypt's rolled away. And God wanted them to take advantage of it. And when God gives you a brand new start, He wants you to take time to recognize it. And He wants you to take time to realize you need to take advantage of it. But there's a final reason that it was important for Israel to observe circumcision in the Passover feast. Number one, to remind them of God's faithfulness. Number two, to deal with an area of neglect. Number three, to mark a new beginning. But fourth and last, to picture spiritual truths. Circumcision and the Passover pictured some very important spiritual realities. I've already alluded to that a little bit, but I want to kind of just hone in on that for a moment as to what circumcision and the Passover pictured. You see, the Passover and circumcision pictured the great needs of humanity. Salvation and transformation. The the Passover pictured the need for salvation. Just like the people of, of, of God in Egypt needed the blood of the Lamb on their doorposts so that God's judgment would pass over their house, we need salvation from God's wrath. And we can be saved by the blood of a spotless lamb. His name is Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 7 says that he is, he, Christ is our Passover lamb. And if we know him as our Lord and Savior, if we embrace him as Lord and Savior, his blood covers our life. And we stand before God, instead of judging us with his wrath, he will pass over us and we will be saved. Amen? And so the Passover feast was a reminder of man's need for salvation. Christ is our Passover. When John the Baptist saw Jesus walk up, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I read a story about Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of the late 1800s in London, England. He was preaching at a a venue and he wanted to test the acoustics of that venue and there was a man who was working up in the rafters. So Spurgeon, this is before the days of microphones and speakers, Spurgeon got up in the pulpit to test the acoustics of the room and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The man in the rafters got saved. You know why? Because in that one sentence is the gospel. Jesus is the Lamb who died in our place, shed His blood so we could be rescued, redeemed from God's wrath that we deserve. So the Passover pictured our need for salvation. Circumcision pictures our need for transformation. Look with me over in Deuteronomy chapter 10 very quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 10, I want to show you this. Moses teaching the people here. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. The Bible says, Now Israel, 
What does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set His heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Now look in verse 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. The physical cutting away of flesh was a picture of our need to have some heart surgery. Because every one of us have a wicked, ruined heart. And if we're ever going to love God, if we're ever going to serve God, if we're ever going to live for the glory of God, heart surgery has to happen. God has to, has to cut away the stubbornness. He has to cut away the power of sin. He has to cut away the power of the flesh. And circumcision was a reminder. This physical act is a picture of your spiritual need. You can't love me, you stubborn Hebrews, until you have heart surgery. And listen, you can't love God and walk with God until you have something done in your heart. So the Passover pictures our need for salvation. Circumcision pictures our need for transformation. And here's the good news. Salvation is found only in Christ. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And transformation is found only in Christ. Matter of fact, look in Colossians very quickly. I want to tie this all together. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Look at this comment on circumcision. Colossians chapter 2 verse 11. In Him, in Christ also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Not physical circumcision. But by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So here's what the Bible says. When we meet Christ as our Lord and Savior, His blood is applied to our life. Our sins are washed away. We are forgiven of our sins. But also at the moment of conversion, God begins heart surgery. And just like physical circumcision pictures, He begins to cut away the power of sin from our life. So we can obey Him and live for His glory. And so, salvation is found in Christ. Transformation is found only in Christ. That's what we need and that's what Christ provides. So, we must take time to acknowledge and celebrate all we have in Christ. We've got to take time from our busy schedules To gaze at the cross and rejoice at the empty tomb and recall the day we met Christ and celebrate all that Christ has done and is doing in our lives. We need that time. Israel needed the time. They had to hit the pause button. And before they marched toward Jericho, they needed to remember how good and merciful and gracious God had been to them. They needed to be reminded of spiritual realities. That's why it was important that they practice circumcision and the Passover feast. We love to celebrate, don't we? We love to celebrate weddings. 
We love to celebrate birthdays. We love to celebrate anniversaries. We love to celebrate women's basketball. When a certain team beats a team that has a 111 game win streak and they go to the final. I mean, you know, we love to celebrate, don't we, right? That was for you state fans out there this morning. We love to celebrate. Listen to me. You and I need to take time to celebrate what is most important. We need to take time to celebrate Christ and all that we have in Christ. And so here's what I want you to walk away with today. If we want God to grant us spiritual victories, we must take time to be spiritually prepared. And that's tough because you're like me and my family. You're busy. You're really busy. Running to and fro, trying to just keep up with life. Circumstances are closing in, and it's hard for you to take time for these things. But if we want to win spiritual victories, we must be spiritually prepared. And if we're going to be spiritually prepared, we've got to take time. Amen? So here's my practical pastoral admonition for you today. Would you carve out time in your daily schedule for Jesus? Time to remember his faithfulness, to prepare you for what's ahead. Time to celebrate all that you have in Christ. Time to deal with areas of neglect. You need that time with just you and the Lord so that you can grow in holiness. The world rushes on, as William Flagstaff wrote in that famous hymn. The world rushes on. If we are going to be holy, we must take time.